Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod. The podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Well, it's time for us to go in front of mental health with our mental health advisor and performance coach for Behind the Racket, Dr. Jonathan Katz. Jonathan, how are you? Um, as we look at you in the, the Zoom call, uh, and, and I know people can't see this necessarily, but uh, there is a ceiling fan directly behind you, uh, and it just looks like it's constantly giving you a haircut. And uh, I, I got to say, Noah would like for it to give me a haircut with this mohawk thing that's going on up on top of my head. Well, I am doing very well out of the heat of Austin, Texas, mm. and in our house in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. If I move a little to the left, it will look like that fan will be over my head, and I'll be a <laughs> member of the Jetsons. Uh, that's Mike gets that. I got Maybe that, Noah, yeah. If you're under uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not for me. 40, you're not going to get that. <laughs> but I'm doing well. Thanks very much. Nice to be with you guys again. Gosh, Cape Cod sounds uh, absolutely fantastic. And Noah was here in the heat in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, last week. And I, I don't know if he's fully recovered yet. Still recovering actually from the electrolytes that I lost during that podcast. <laughs> I have never been so just soaked in my entire life. I, we were just sitting at Starbucks and we had an iced coffee. I wanted to literally, I was dumping my hand in the iced coffee. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it day in, day out, waking up. It is, it's like disgusting. It's how, disgusting. how do we do it, uh, frankly? I, I don't, I, like, I've, <laughs> I've been here for a year, Jonathan. You, I, I don't know how long you, you've been down in Texas, but it's, it's miserable for a good chunk of the yeah, year. Yeah, well, fortunately, we moved down in the fall of 2012, but we had the good fortune, very grateful for the fact that we get out of the summer heat and come to uh, Cape Cod for the summer months and escape the uh, Texas heat. So, okay, yes. so summer home I mean, is the key. <laughs> yeah, but before we get into it, I, how does Marnie deal with it? Uh, Marnie, Marnie uh, what's funny is last year she loved it. It was her first summer here, and she thought it was great that we could go outside all the time. And this year she's always just, oh, I'm so sweaty. Yeah. Oh. And I know, I know you miss Illinois, but yes. there is a constant grayness there. 
That's how I like to describe That's it. False. You just you haven't been there at the right time, Noah. You haven't been there at the right time. It's it's okay. August first at noon to one thirty p.m. It's not Seattle. It's not Seattle. All right. It's fine. Um, so, so Dr. Katz, we, we had, um, our ask us anything podcast this past week and we, we actually ended, we didn't mean to end necessarily with this question, but we had this fantastic question, um, that, that came up at the very, our very last question. And, uh, it's made both Noah and myself think a little bit more. Um, and so I wanted to revisit it with you because I think it's something, uh, that all of us are kind of dealing with right now. Um, and it's from Jack Wichtendahl, who said he was a conflicted college student. And it says, how do you stay motivated for something you're not sure is going to come back? And even if it does, you know it's not going to be the same because of the coronavirus. And I just, that's that's such a fantastic question because it relates, obviously, to what Noah and other athletes are dealing with. It also is something that all of the rest of us are kind of dealing with as well in, in terms of how we're going to respond uh, to life in the next six months, nine months to a year. It is a great question. And the issue of uh, motivation and engagement in what we do, whether it's on the tennis court or in our jobs or in our relationships or our hobbies or activities, you know, it's a tough one. So let me first start um, with just a little background, which is there's generally in psychology two forms of motivation. One is what's called extrinsic motivation, which are really acts done to receive an external reward or outcome. You know, that could be for money, power, fame, and sometimes to avoid punishment. And then there's intrinsic motivation, which really involves the behaviors that we all do for their own sake that are personally rewarding for us uh, helping other people, participating in enjoyable sport. Um, so these are the two kinds of motivation. Um, I think right now it's very hard to kind of create motivation for a lot of people. And so I think part of the goal is to c combine the extrinsic and the intrinsic. I often, for a lot of athletes now, where somebody like Noah, who doesn't know when the next tournament is going to be, it's really, to me, trying to get back to actually the, the basics of when you first started playing tennis. And usually most athletes started playing their sport for two reasons. One is that it was fun, and the other is that they were good at it. And so I think to try to find, again, to recapture the passion and the joy and the fun of what you're doing keeps motivation alive. And then just first from a goal setting point of view, it's important just to set kind of very short term, specific, manageable and achievable goals and kind of work on the things in your control and focus on small incremental gains uh, as as a way of keeping the motivation, because the big games are on gains are unclear down the road. For me, it's the second part of the question that really bothers me. And this is stuff you and I have talked about. Um, and probably will a, a little longer, but this idea that it's not going to be the same when we come back. Um, you can work so hard, you can do all of this, and I'm going to put it in our little small world of tennis, but the U.S. Open can very well be canceled. The whole summer of tennis can be canceled. We don't have many challengers going into fall. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with constantly being let down in, in, in a greater term? Um, where do you go from there? 
Well, I think it's then getting into this whole aspects. It's the process, not the outcome. There's aspects of the future that we don't know, that are undetermined. At some point, I think intellectually, we all know and understand that there will be tournaments. We don't know if it's going to be three months, six months, nine months, a year. Some of the early tournaments may not have fans, that it's going to be a weird kind of thing. Although, um, you know, people like yourself will have experiencers and challengers playing in front of three people. Uh, that kind of helps you. But I think, again, it's, it's really setting um, those small goals and really focusing on your ability to improve your own uh, sport and skills day to day and, and focusing on the practice and not to getting too far ahead of yourself in terms of what the outcome is going to look like or feel like, because I think that until there's a more tangible aspect of what it's going to be, then that just becomes very unsettling uh, and creates a lot of discomfort. With that being said, um, there there are a lot of people who are maybe not as financially comfortable. Um, so when they try to focus on the uh, smaller goals, the practice goals, the incremental improvements, as as you mentioned, you know they're also looking at this idea of I don't know if I have the financial wherewithal to last for six months, last for a year to to where I get to play necessarily say futures or challengers again. What, what do you say to those people who are maybe struggling uh, with some of the uh, external issues, um, the, the financial issues, when they're you know, trying to stay focused on the process? Yeah, well, that's a good question because you know, many of us are fortunate that what the pandemic has done is created the need to adjust, uh, which is much easier than for a lot of folks in and out of tennis and a lot of people in the world who have lost their jobs it's really more survival. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, you know, trying to provide the basic needs, um, you know, food, shelter, uh, those kind of things. So I think um, this is where in those situations, uh, one really needs to manage their basic needs. I, I think somebody who is running out of money, you know, needs to kind of find a way to get employment. Uh, they may not have the luxury of spending a few hours on the tennis court every day because they may need to find a job just to kind of pay the bills, pay the rent. So I think everybody's situation is different. And I think this is where we talked uh, maybe last time about resilience and mm -hmm. the importance of just kind of working through what you need to work through, not looking so much at what others have or they don't have, but finding a way to kind of go day to day and manage things in the hope that you'll come out in a better place. And if you're an athlete, that competition will come back and you'll be able to kind of, um, present your skills as you had before. And planning for the long term, I know at times is, is difficult, especially now with how unsettling, you don't know which direction everything's going to go in. Um, can having a few different plans in the future be beneficial to making you feel comfortable, almost setting up your routines for the future? You know, X, Y, and Z, if I have a tournament in three months from now, this is what I'll be doing. And then, you know, if I found, find out one week before the tournament that it's gone, this is how I veer in a new direction. Can that be beneficial for people? Yeah, I think what you're speaking to is the question, and I think this is very helpful in working with people, is on long-term, medium-term, and short-term goals. So the long-term goals might be kind of just kind of career-wise, where you want to go, where you'd like to be in the next year or so, maybe your ranking or you know, competition. Then the more medium-term goals are kind of gearing in now in the case of maybe there's a tournament a few months 
out that is looking like it could happen. So now you're gearing up for this tournament or that tournament that right now looks like it may happen. And then the more short-term immediate goals is, okay, on a day-to-day basis, let's say, just take yourself as a tennis player, how am I going to approach my physical conditioning, you know, my uh, kind of mental skills aspect, my on-court stuff? What do I want to work on each day? And I think each of those things is important because the longer we move out to the goals, the less predictable it is. But we all have that kind of thing. We all have long-term goals and there's nothing wrong with it, but they need to fit in with kind of more midterm goals and then clearly the short-term immediate goals, which can be worked on every day. I know this is a really strange question. So take this for what it is. Um, in the world of psychology, performance coaching, you know, in all those directions, was this beneficial to a lot of people to kind of force people to deal with things they wouldn't have or earlier on necessarily? Is that a very strange thing to say? I don't know why Mike's shaking his head. Uh, well, the, the, the short answer is we don't know. Let me just say what um, highly stressful difficult situations. I don't think any of us have ever dealt with a pandemic like this. But what we usually see in periods of high stress is that an exacerbation of what existed already. So for instance, um, relationships that may have been tenuous or dysfunctional uh, prior to the pandemic, the stress of that might have exacerbated that and that put that in an even more tenuous, you know, where people said, well, maybe we'll see (laughs) more divorces after that. Conversely, relationships that have a really solid foundation, I think what it does is it solidified that and given people a greater sense of connectedness. This could be to loved ones, significant others, friends, whatever, and an appreciation with that. Um, So that's kind of, I I think we don't know what the long-term effects are uh, of this psychologically. Uh, Also health-wise, you know, for instance, what's come up recently is even though young folks tend to not be impacted um, health-wise as significantly as older people with the, with the virus. We don't know what the, we have no idea what the long-term implications are uh, health-wise. I wanted to actually ask you about that because uh, this is something I've been just kind of thinking about ruminating in my head the last few. Don't do that, Mike. Sorry. I know that. Well, I've got extra room with this Mohawk now. So, um, so if, if I am a, if I'm an, an elite athlete, uh, um, and I'm talking about, let's let's even say just in the tennis world, if I'm top 20 and I'm 23, if I'm Dominic Team or somebody like that, I, I am uncertain enough about the long-term effects of, of COVID and what it might be that I'm, I, I'm actually more protective of myself. And I'm thinking maybe I don't go play any of these events because – you know, as you said right now, the, the medical science is not necessarily very good on what these long-term effects, how, how, what should, how should an athlete approach that when there's so much uncertainty um, about the well, medical Mike, science? The interesting thing is that you're speaking like a 40-plus-year-old yes. who's had a level of maturity <laughs> and experience in the world. One of the things we know, and no, I'm not saying this specifically about you because you're a very <laughs> mature 24-year-old, but just about um, young men is in particular, is that they're, and athletes um, whose bodies are their machines, uh, uh, there is a sense of invincibility often. And so athletes and young folks, and again, often young men kind of behave and act in ways that feeling like it, the likelihood that something bad physically, emotionally, familial is going to happen 
it is doesn't come into their mind first and foremost. Mm. Things like health experience gives some people that kind of uh, knowledge and information. So I, I think we have that, you know, even though tennis players, again, your body is your kind of your workstation. Um, there's also the aspect of youth, which is hard to fully appreciate what kind of health factors could play in when you feel young and vibrant and healthy. Hopefully in the history books, uh, Mike Cation is there for the model citizen for how to deal with the pandemic. That would be <laughs> ideal for everybody. Far, far um, from it. <laughs> but going on to the next one, um, and I'm finding it very tough, especially nowadays where, again, specifically in the tennis world, you're seeing people having opportunities that you may not necessarily have the opportunity to have. This goes into life and... You know, it, it's definitely highlighted during the pandemic, but how do you deal with comparing yourself to others? How do you not use your self-worth based on somebody else? How is that not an equation and how do you not do it during a pandemic? Okay, so there's good news and there's bad news here. The, the good news <laughs> is that this is a very common scenario for almost everybody in the world. Um, we, we, and the tendency is for us to look to other people who may have things or able, you know, it could be, it could be money, it could be material objects, it could be relationships, it could be careers, things that we don't have. So I think this tends to get triggered for people when there's aspects of our own lives that we're not totally happy with or satisfied with. Um, so listen, the truth is any of us could always look to people who have something we want that we don't have. And we could also look at ourselves of having things that others don't have. You know, it's interesting in terms of happiness, the research will show that once people have a certain level uh, of finance, listen, it's easier to live in this world with more money, for instance, than less money. But once people have a certain level of uh, money to live in a somewhat reasonably comfortable way, after that, it's not correlated with happiness. So more isn't always better. And I think that's huge. I think the key thing in what you're asking is that we all need to look at what are the triggers for ourselves? What are the things that set off looking, that let us lead us to look to others for things we don't have? Because that's really more telling about what it is about our lives that we're not feeling good about. And then the key is to try to channel that en energy not into feeling jealous or of other people or putting a lot of attention or energy in that, but how can we channel that energy in a positive, constructive way for ourselves so that we could start to address changes that we need to make to feel better about ourselves in our life situation in the areas that we have control over, even though there are many areas, especially with the pandemic, we don't have control over. Yeah, that's something I, I will say I've been struggling with quite a bit myself is, um, you know, I'll, I'll even say it. I'm, I'm jealous uh, a lot right now. And I've compared myself to the, the cracked rackets crew, um, who I love dearly. Um, they're, they're much younger. Um, and they have the ability right now because they don't have necessarily, um, how do I phrase this? So it doesn't sound so negative. Like I have my, my lovely daughter, right. And, and I am 
grateful for the opportunity to take care of her uh, a lot. And so that's my primary responsibility right now. They don't have necessarily that level of responsibility. So they're able to go around and, and do all of these cool events right now. And I, I find myself very jealous of that. And I think you mentioned this earlier um, during the previous topic, just this idea of the, the um, coronavirus, is, it's exacerbating um, things so much. And I, I feel that that's kind of been amped up in this aspect as well, because there are a lot of people who can't necessarily do things for certain reasons. And it's just really exacerbating and just kind of causing friction uh, along wherever you have that pain, that frustration. Yeah, well, this is why it's important for all of us to kind of work on improving the psychology of our daily lives in whatever way we have for two reasons. One is it gets us away from thinking about others. And frankly, one of the reasons that we tend to think about others is the little secret is it's easy. It's much easier to complain or bitch and moan or look or whatever, feel jealous or envy of other people than to take a look at our own lives and go, oh man, like what do I need to do time energy wise to try to make my life more fulfilling to, to improve my own psychology and mental health? And if you're able to do this, it's not only distracting in a positive way, but it's likely to lead to increased level of comfort and happiness, which then always leads to a, a lesser decreased focus on other people. And, and again, when I say other people in terms of a kind of a jealousy, envy thing, I think it's always good to think about others in terms of kind of a commitment to society and community. Um, but we are talking about more the comparison to others and what they have and what we don't have and what we wish we might have had that they don't have. I have a question for you. This is this is an opinion related question and, and it's kind of going off of what we just spoke about. But how do you feel about the world of tennis right now? You know, with the circumstances that we are dealing with, with tournaments being held in certain locations where people can't travel to with the risks that are being taken with possible fans at certain events. How does that feel for somebody like yourself that has been a part of the sports world for a long time and also knows the psychological effects for athletes? Well, again, it's, it's a little disappointing, but not surprising in this, that tennis is an individual sport. So if you look to me at the model in the sports world um, of how this has been handled, I look to the NBA who historically with Adam Silver is just a very well-respected commissioner uh, and working in conjunction very strongly with Michelle Roberts, who's the head of the NBA Players Association. That kind of leadership communication, uh, they've done everything they can with the bubble down in Florida. It doesn't mean anything's gonna work. It doesn't mean this is not gonna fall apart, but it won't be because of effort and energy and work together. What you see to me conversely is tennis, which is an individual free-for-all. There is not. I, I think purposely tennis has been created. I mean, to me, it's always follow the money. The reason that it's been very kind of um, disjointed and everything is because the leadership at the various large major tournaments uh, keep the power within themselves and actually control the purses and all of those situations a lot more. There's never historically really been strong leadership within the individual sport. And I think as Mike, you had mentioned, and we talked about before, this is the perfect case where now the pandemic exacerbates this kind of lack of unity or cohesiveness that a sport like tennis doesn't have to the degree 
of some of the other major sports? I'm a tennis player. I I have this sometimes. (laughs) Do you feel tennis players, because you've dealt with other sports as well, do you feel like tennis players are some of the most selfish people in sport right now? I, see, I, don't, I, I, I think don't, you can take out the right now. <laughs> I don't look at it that way. You're an individual sport. And so yeah. you, I mean, you know, to me, and you can make a case, look, look at what you have to do that an NBA guy doesn't have to do. NBA guy, bet here, the bus is ready. The flight is ready. The food is ready. You just have to show up at practice. Then you got to make your plane trips. You got to make your hotels. You got to find somebody to hit with. I mean, this is like behind the curtain of the tennis world. Yeah that a lot of individual, you know, team athletes, man, they got it great. Now, I'm, yes. not, I'm not putting it just that's the nature of a team sport. You're, you're, you're a one-man operation. You, you know, you're your own entity. Which is, Now, the good news is, you know, you, 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 jo- you get the joys of winning, you own it all, and you get the pains of losing. But the logistics of your life, this is not like, Noah, you live in New York, and it's like, okay, there's a tournament in Manhattan today, there's one in Long Island tomorrow. It's not like you're 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there, sleeping in my own bed every night. Every trip is a road trip. It's not like you're playing a series of home games. So if you have a house in New York and you play for the Knicks, like, man, for a week or so, you'll be home with your family. So I, I don't see it as selfish. I see it as like you have to be kind of much more – you have to much more reliant on yourself individually and you have to look out for yourself more because there's not an organization that's looking out for you in particular. All right. So I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, Noah, I can't actually remember if I asked you this uh, on, on our podcast. I think it was, I think it was when you were just, we were just actually hanging out uh, at the pool the other day. Um, So, We've obviously, uh, this is kind of getting to, you know, what we talked about here at the beginning of this podcast. I think it's an interesting way to wrap up here. Um, The U.S., we've obviously botched our our response to coronavirus. It's causing all of this uncertainty for sports here in the U.S., overseas in Europe. uh, All of the the professional uh, football leagues are are going. Uh, I feel a lot more confident right now that they're going to be able to run the French Open, that they're going to be able to do challengers in Europe. There's more certainty there, Jonathan, than there is here in the U.S. with sport. I think that's a that's a very safe thing to say. If you're advising Noah Rubin right now and you have the certainty of European challengers the french open where you would get to play qualifiers versus the u.s open and u.s challengers what would you say to these americans right now who would have to quarantine for two weeks going over to europe about how they should structure their schedule for the next month and a half well one of the things that makes this different cult is that and this is a very individual Um, personal decision is one's feeling of safety and comfort. I mean, I could just give you, my wife and I normally come to Cape Cod in May Mm -hmm. and our adult daughters live in New York and Vermont and we get to see them. We put off the trip, put off the trip because we were concerned about flying. At some point, the cumulative effect of not being able to see our family was weighing on us heavily, emotionally. And so at some point we, we weighed the balance of what it would be like to fly versus not and we chose to fly and it was very anxiety provoking and we did it to be around our family 
This becomes an individual choice. It's easy just to look at a tournament and say, well, you'll have more opportunities here versus there. But going to a foreign country in the middle of a pandemic, what is it like to be away from your family and loved ones or friends? What is it like to quarantine? How do you feel about flying? To me, those are very individual and personal decisions. And one needs to have a level of comfort. If you say, I could go either way on that, then you need to assess, okay, let's talk practical terms in terms of getting tennis in, uh, competition. Then it becomes a much easier discussion because we're only focused on, okay, how many tournaments can you play there versus not here? What's the likelihood of these being canceled? That becomes an easier discussion. Mm. But I think the first question to me is the one that each person has got to address themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think my problem is it's, you know, Mike doesn't mean to simplify it, but it's not quite as simple as that. I mean, we both know very well, Mike, that those challengers, if there are none in the U.S., will be a 150 cutoff. You know, that's mm. just how it's going to be. Um, you know, we also know we're not sure what's going on with the French and, and, the, and the travel. So if I knew that I could play three tournaments, challengers, and I was going to get in and then I was going to play the French, something I would think about as well as, you know, you know, the EU are not letting us in. Do we, can we go to <laughs> right. England for two weeks? Like, where, where do I go? And, you know, obviously I made that joke on Twitter about taking my 10 speed, but like, it, it's just, there's so much up in the air. Is Uncertainty. That anxiety and, and risk, you know, that's what you have to weigh, um, which we're doing every day. But uh, Jonathan, we really do appreciate um, you coming on today. That was, that was a great talk. And, and I think a lot of people can get out of it. Um, you know, just just a little bit of comfort, just trying to find that comfort and education and, and learning every day how to deal with the situations at hand. Yeah, well, listen, I appreciate you having me on. I think people just need to look at this is a day to day process. Try not to get too far ahead of yourself. Try to do the best you can each day just to, and then one step forward. And um, hopefully we'll be out of this sooner than later. But we just don't know. And, and of course, you know, more importantly, don't compare yourself to Noah Rubin. Um, I mean, that's just, that's the thing. Uh, if you compare yourself to Noah Rubin, you're just going to go through heartache and pain because nobody can be uh, Noah Rubin. I, I, we just can't, Jonathan. Well, that may be, although, Mike, I know off air you've told me that actually when you compare yourself to him, it makes you feel better about I feel yourself. tall. So I, I know I'm outing you here. Uh, and I don't want to more, cause more uh, marital friendship discord uh, between the two of you because we'll have to schedule some extra couples to- therapy sessions uh, more than we have been doing of late do you on the atp tour are you taller now yeah the mohawk to have you gotten it's, you get measured like somebody comes have, you've never work. watched the the fantastic movie fletch again we're going to go with an old school reference but uh six foot six foot eight with the afro it's a it's a just a great line from fletch and i, I feel that way with the mohawk it adds at least three inches to the height so i might actually be six foot one is that now. product or no product the, to, it's too early every fan wants to know yeah way too early for product this is just okay, this is natural for product yeah. okay. looks a looks a little thin over uh, I, I, I sense a sponsor <laughs> in the future i Sense a sponsor. We're working on it. <laughs> We're working on it. I see Mike, I see Mike on Instagram. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at New Balance.com. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33 
at Mike C. Tennis and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.